What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here on the half of the podcast. Kyle, what's going on, man? Looks like we got ourselves a guest on the cast. Kev, this is your boy. Boy from Nike. Lay out the red carpet, bro. Yes, sir. This is uh this is a coworker that I had back at Nike back in the days in college. My boy Charlie Banks, one of the most good looking motherfuckers out there in Miami. Ladies, I don't know his status, but I mean look at him. One of the most beautiful guests we've ever had. Welcome to the show, bro. Appreciate having me, guys. Um let's have some fun. Let's talk some football. Yes, sir. I know Justin Herbert would be so proud of the flow, my guy. <sighs> childhood dream. Just not a childhood anymore. <laughs> <laughs> child at heart though yeah big big child kevin and i are in our late 20s but i think at heart we're still like what 15 or at least we feel like we're a kid still so, maybe younger depending on who you ask yeah and maybe me sometimes i still act like one but it is what it is but uh no regrets but boys we got a lot to get to we got the first round of the nfl playoffs coming up in the wild card round we've got Six games to cover. So we got games on Saturday, on Sunday, and then we have five games. There are five games? Mm-hmm. Two buys. Seven playoff teams. There are six games, Kev. There's six games. There's three on each side. What? There's, oh, it's... fucking CBS eliminated it. That's why. I cut it off. I'm literally looking at it. I'm like, dude, there's five games on my screen here. Oh, well, that's great. Because there's, yeah, the, no. there's the Monday one. There's the Monday one. Oh, there. there's a Monday game? Since when? Well, there's two Saturdays, three Sundays, and a Monday. Has yep. there always been a Monday playoff game? No. Nope. ESPN, a little bit of that I, money. Well, they have to because Joe Buck and uh, Troy Aikman are on the call for that one. So, oh, my. And, of course, they're going to and, – and Troy's going to get the Cowboys game. Yep. Ugh. And he might have Oh to, my god. But depending on uh, how that game's go how that game goes, he might have to suffer through that one. But uh, sure. uh Oops. Kev, the the agenda's gonna be pretty simple. Do you want me to just lay it on out? Let's just ride through it. All right, so um got six games to cover. We've got the Seahawks and the 49ers, we've got the Chargers and the Jaguars, we've got the Dolphins and the Bills, we've got the Giants and the Vikings, Ravens and Bengals, and then to finish it up. We got the Cowboys and the Bucks, and to be quite honest with you guys, we're just gonna go in that order. Um, we're gonna try to be as efficient as possible with each game. There are three of us here, so hopefully this thing doesn't drag out to like two, two and a half hours. I, Kev, we've done NFL Wild Card Weekend in the past, and I know like some of our episodes got pretty long. So I think one time we had one episode go like two and a half hours. When two, we two and some change. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, we'll try to be as efficient as possible, but um, nonetheless, let's dive into these first into this game uh, between the Seahawks and the 49ers. Uh, it's going to be a big NFC West matchup that's going to be featured on Saturday. So this is one of the two Saturday games. This game is going to take place at 430. This game will be in San Francisco. Uh, just to give you guys a quick rundown of where both teams are and how they got here. Uh, the Seahawks are the seventh seed. Uh, they were able to clinch the last wild card spot in the NFC in Week 18, thanks to the Lions defeating the Packers in Lambeau. And then to kick it to the 49ers, the 49ers are the two seed. They've been one of the hottest teams in the NFL. They've won 10 straight games going into this playoff matchup, 
and they will run it back for the third time this season just because the 49ers and the Seahawks are divisional rivals. So, Charlie, you're the guest here. Let's kick this one to you. We've got the 49ers and the Seahawks going at it on Saturday and Wild Card Weekend. Who do you think is going to win and why? Uh, the Geno Cinderella story is not going to be very nice in this one. They Their defense is not a Pete Carroll defense of recent years. And it's, well, I guess, of old years. Their recent years have been all not very good. And, I mean, Geno's been a career backup. Like, I would love for the Cinderella story to keep going. He's, like, second or third in the league for passer rating. But that that 49er defense is all world. They're disgusting. Bosa's probably going to get to him four or five times and get him on the ground two or three, like, it's no, it's this is this game's not gonna last long. It'll, I'm assuming it'll probably be pretty much over mid third. The spread's what right now? Nine and a half. Yeah, I, I could see it easily going plus 10 for uh, San Fran. Like, it's not gonna last. Kev, go ahead, dude. I, I, I got this as a route to be honest with you. No disrespect to Seattle. Um, no disrespect to Pete Carroll and Geno Smith. Geno earned himself a payday this season for sure. Um, top in the league in completion percentage, like Charlie said. Top three in passer rating. I mean, threw for over four thousand yards. If I'm not mistaken, that's a Seattle Seahawks franchise record, <laughs> Russell. Um, but you know, overall, I just find that to be absolutely comical that this game is even a game i mean kyle already said it 10 game win streak league's best defense doing it with their third quarterback of the year one of the most brilliant offensive minds in kyle shanahan as their head coach uh i mean D'Amico ryan's has this defense absolutely swarming and just hungry to dominate whoever's in front of them under center and i think that this game is going to be just it's going to get out of hand quickly i mean debo samuel's back christian mccaffrey's having himself an incredible season and nick bose is having a, a defensive player of the year category like you know statistical season as well so i mean like the the, the niners smacked them around in the regular season two times and i'm not going to go out there and say that the regular season makes a difference but when it's a divisional opponent um you kind of know who you're playing against you're familiar with their scheme and Charlie also said, I mean, Seattle's defense is pretty piss poor. It's probably one of the worst defenses in the postseason right there next to Minnesota. So, I mean, I got the 49ers probably winning by 17-plus points, in my personal opinion. I think that Christian McCaffrey just blows a hole in this defense and probably rushes for over 125 yards. I think Brock Purdy won't have to do too much because the run game's going to get out of hand, and they'll probably go up early with maybe a, even a defensive score. Um, so I got this going, like, I don't know, 35, 17, 35-21. If Seattle can get into a rhythm, they do have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and the offensive rookie of the year, in my opinion, in Kenneth Walker. But with the inexperience in the postseason and a bad defense, it's not a good formula to win against the league's best defense um, in the postseason. I agree with you guys completely on this one. I think the 49ers are going to run away with this one. Uh, Charlie, I tend to agree with you. I think more than likely this game is going to pretty much be over by around mid-third quarter. Hell, it could even be over by halftime. I mean, the way that this game is set up for the 49ers, I think it's well in their hands simply just because I think when you look at each level or just really each unit specifically, whether it's offense, defense, special teams, I think the 49ers win every single category. Uh, just because if you look at it from an offensive perspective, uh, no matter quarterback who they've had in this year, whether it was uh, Trey Lance, Jimmy Garoppolo, and now Brock Purdy. I mean, it's really just been a humming machine pretty much the entire year. 
Finishing on a 10-game win streak is absolutely phenomenal. Brock Purdy has not lost a start uh, since filling in for <laughs> Jimmy G in relief. And, you know, when you tie in all the weapons that they have at their disposal in that offense, outside of Brock Purdy, you got Christian McCaffrey, you've got Debo Samuel who's coming back, you've got Jawan Jennings, you've got Brandon Ayuk, you've got George Kittle. I mean, good luck trying to stop that if you're Seattle from a defensive perspective. I just don't think they're going to be able to. And then when you kick it to San Fran's defense, San Fran has one of the best defenses, if not the best defense in the NFL. The only defense that may be similar in nature, maybe the Buffalo Bills, but I'm more inclined to believe that the 49ers have a better defense. I mean, there have been games where they've just completely shut down opposing offenses. They've done it to the Seahawks twice this year already, and I don't really see any any other pathway forward other than the Seahawks taking an L here. I think the only way the Seahawks win this game, if I'm to give them a little bit of hope, is they have to force some turnovers against the 49ers offense, and they have to immediately cash those in for touchdowns. They cannot settle for field goals in this game against San Fran. San Fran is just too explosive from an offensive perspective uh, to be settling for three points. Uh, Geno Smith has been very good this year, but like Charlie said, I do think that that Cinderella-type story that we've seen from Geno Smith this year, it does come to an end. But, you know, as far as I see the result being, I got the 49ers winning this one big, like Kev said. Probably somewhere around 14 to 17 points. I think that that's probably more than likely I see the result being as well. Um, if I had to put a score on it, I think San Fran wins this one by the score of, let's say, 31 to 14. I, I just think that Seattle's going to struggle to move the ball uh, offensively against that defense uh, in San Francisco. And I think Brock Purdy is going to have a pretty solid day overall, but I think it's going to be a pretty well-rounded uh, offensive show from the 49ers simply just because they can run the ball effectively. They can pass the ball effectively. And, you know, if Debo Samuel, if they utilize him out of the backfield or get him on some jet sweeps, if you're Seattle, just watch out. It's going to be a train wreck for Seattle if they let the 49ers get rolling. And if Seattle turns the ball over on top of it, this could potentially be a three-touchdown loss for Seattle. So to wrap this up, I got San Fran advancing to the divisional round and smacking the Seahawks pretty convincingly as far as I see it. It's going to be interesting um, just because, again, with it being a divisional matchup, it can be competitive. Um, you know, obviously, like I stated in my point, both teams know each other very well. But it's just it's hard even when you have prep time, even when you are familiar with the opponent. You still have to stop that defense. You still have to move the ball with the offense that you have. And, you know, they're very reliant upon the run game. I know Kenneth Walker had over a thousand yards on the ground. And San Francisco's got one of the better running defenses in the NFL. So if he can't get it going, that puts all the pressure on Geno. I mean, we saw it in an example uh, on Christmas Eve, if I'm not mistaken, if not Christmas Day, when they played the Chiefs. Kenneth Walker couldn't really get it going. Geno Smith did not have time to throw that ball. That pass rush from Kansas City was able to get to him relatively quickly. I would say that San Francisco probably has a better pass rush than Kansas City. It's just, once again, it's an easy, successful formula for victory when you limit the run, you pressure the quarterback, and your offense just puts points up on the board. It's it's a, it's not looking like a good day for Seattle, realistically. It's a terrible first matchup. The only thing I'll say about that, that one game between Seattle and KC, that was the day where it was literally like negative 10 degrees outside. And you could say that weather probably played a big factor just because. Not to DK, that boy was shirtless and warm-ups. I mean, I can tell you this, that offense was not running and gunning when it was game time, though. I mean, they might have been fine during pregame, but I tell you yeah. what, they were not running in that game against the Chiefs. Chiefs handled them pretty convincingly. But, no, I just... Pretty much 
Go ahead. No, sorry. No, you go ahead. You go ahead. No, just Sam Pram pretty much has an advantage at every single unit. Yeah. Like, they, other than the two wide receivers, but the passing game isn't as good to a last pick of the draft guy. Like, it just, nothing is really there for them. I mean, Seattle does have good weapons in Tyler Lockett and, yeah. um, and DK. It's just I think it's better than the other receiver, the two, Ayuk and um, uh, Debo Samuel. Yeah. But they like, also, can, but they also have Jawan Jennings. Jawan Jennings is a nice third receiver that they have, and yeah. then when you have George Kittle on top of that, who's one of the best tight ends in the game, one healthy, I, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Brock's got a lot of options to go to, so that may be the, the only thing that may hold Geno back a little bit is that he's really only beholden to two big targets. Granted, you know, DK's a beast, Tyler Lockett's a beast. It's just outside of that, it, things can get a little bit dicey. Shaky. In that wide receiving core for Seattle, agreed. San Francisco really doesn't have that that issue. They they're pretty much loaded offensively from top to bottom, and and Kyle Shanahan's just an absolute master of running that offense. Yeah. But with that said, uh, Charlie's gonna have a good good time with this one. We're gonna talk about his team a little bit here. Uh, we're gonna talk about the upcoming matchup. Uh, it's gonna be an AFC wild card matchup that will feature the Los Angeles Chargers. I almost said San Diego. And the Jacksonville Jaguars. So this could be a very interesting matchup just to kind of focus on both teams here. Uh, the Chargers were able to get one of the wild card spots. Uh, they are from the AFC West, but the Chiefs won that division pretty handily. But nonetheless, uh, the Chargers were able to secure the five seed. Uh, when you look at the Chargers, they've been pretty solid this year. Justin Herbert's having a nice year. Uh, defensively, they've they've gone through, through some injuries, really. The Chargers have been one of the more snake-bitten teams by injuries this year compared to some other teams in the NFL. And then when you kick it over to the Jaguars, uh, the Jaguars were able to win the AFC South. Granted, Wednesday was the most convincing record uh, compared to some other teams around the AFC. But nonetheless, somebody had to win that division, and Jacksonville was able to win that one essentially in the last game of the season against the Titans. Very close game against the Titans, by the way. Only won that game by, I believe, like four points. So... So it'll be an interesting matchup. This game will be taking place on Saturday. It's going to be in Jacksonville. So, Charlie, to kick this one to you, you've got the Chargers going up against the Jaguars on Saturday in this wild card weekend matchup. Who do you think is going to win and why? So it's kind of tough. They're both almost identical teams in the sense that they both have young, huge arm, big stature quarterbacks that are coming a draft apart. One was drafted three years ago, and one was drafted two years ago. They both had uh, head coaching issues. They both don't really have a running game. Both offensive lines are up and down. They both had injuries. Their defenses are mid-level. They both have good pass-rushing defenses, but that's about it. The, the Chargers, the past like six games, have been outstanding in defense in comparison to what they were putting out at the beginning of the year. But... It's basically, they also played back the first six games. Uh, I think it was around week five or six, and the Jags routed them. But the Chargers were beat up. I think that was the game or two after Herbert got his ribs, cartilage broken. Like, they were a shell of the team that we're seeing now. And it, it really comes down to the, the Jags are pretty much healthy, 
the Chargers still aren't going to have their left tackle or Sean Slater. He might keep, if they can advance, he probably will be back the next game, uh, which would be huge. But it really comes down to if Mike Williams plays. Because Mike Williams, he, Staley put them all in, uh, put all their starters in for like three and a half quarters of that last game. And he went out with back spasm, which there is a back contusion. So he had a back bruise. Uh, if he plays, though, there's not enough defenders to be able to cover Mike Williams. He's an uncoverable player. So with the, the spread right now is, what, one and a half? Uh, the Chargers. So I guess the, they have like that one-point home field. Or I guess if it was at home for the Chargers, it'd be like a four-point spread. Um, I think the Chargers are going to win in kind of like a one of those medium shootout games of like a 28 to 32. So they'll, if it was a home game, they'd cover the spread. And since it's an away game, they're giving, uh, they're getting points on Jackson. Okay. Four zeros. Uh, it's, it's weird for me, man. Like this game, like Charlie said, two young quarterbacks, two inexperienced teams. And, you know, both head coaches, I can't even say both because um, Doug Peterson has a Super Bowl with the Eagles from a few years ago. So uh, one head coach is kind of like very inexperienced and very inconsistent with play calling. So I'm, I'm for whatever reason, I don't know if it's AFC South biasness or what. I have Jacksonville winning this game. I just believe that Jacksonville's pass rush has uh, improved over the course of the last few weeks. I think that their secondary has made plays when they needed to. And I think that Trevor Lawrence has been playing at an exceptional level lately. Travis Etienne is finally coming out of his shell and showing everybody uh, his potential. And then I also believe that the wide receiver core of the Jaguars makes plays when they need to. And Evan Ingram has been doing relatively well as uh, also. Um, you know, f- for me, it's it's... I think that the Chargers have too many injuries. I think Mike Williams' back spasms or injury, contusion, whatever you want to call it, may come back to bite them in the end because, I mean, one of their best receivers is not going to be at full capacity. They've had the injuries to the secondary. They've had multiple injuries to the wide receiver core all season long. The only thing is Austin Eckler is a man amongst boys. I mean, the guy had an incredible season fantasy football-wise, all-purpose yard-wise. I mean, he can run between the tackles. He can catch behind the line of scrimmage. He can just make plays. And with Justin Herbert's arm, I mean, it's really hard to go and bet against L.A., but I don't know what it is. I've been talking to Kyle about this all year. Whenever I have these weird gut feelings, I just have to pick the pick. You know what I mean? And I just feel like Trevor Lawrence is going to be ready for the big stage. All the guy does is win at every level. I know last year he had a pretty atrocious rookie season and campaign, but Urban Meyer was a a big portion of that to blame, and Doug found a way to turn that around. I think Jacksonville ended the season on a five- or six-game win streak of their own, and and they found a way to get it done. So um, I got Jacksonville, man, and that's not like me to go and pick the Jags, division rival, not a team that I like very much, but I I think that Trevor Lawrence is ready for that next step. And, uh, you know, it's both quarterbacks' postseason debut, so it's who's going to come out on top. It's, I'm just very curious. Uh, for me, this is a very tough pick for me uh, just because I think really both teams have a good chance to win this game. I am going to side with the Chargers, though. I think they will be able to go on the road and get a very close win over the Jags. When it comes to both of these teams in general, like, both of you guys said already, you know, we're talking about two younger quarterbacks in Justin Herbert and Trevor Lawrence. And I think that's going to be kind of a big factor in this game. So I would not be surprised if we see both quarterbacks early on struggle just because 
look, the, the lights may be a little bit bright for them at first, knowing that there's a little bit more pressure on this game than just a typical regular season game. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see both teams uh, try to adjust that by running the ball a little bit more effectively with their running back cores, respectively. I just believe that when it comes to the Chargers, I think they're going to have a better time running the football than Jacksonville, simply because when I look at the Jags over the last couple of weeks, they have been giving up some decent uh, rushing uh, attacks against themselves. So if we look to last week against the Titans, they gave up 100 yards plus to Derrick Henry. Now, granted, you know, Derrick Henry is going to get a lot of touches just because that's the, the way that the Titans run their offense. But I think the Chargers can find some exploits in that Jaguars defense and take advantage of them where, you know, you see Austin Eckler possibly, you know, get some five to 10 yard chunk plays throughout the game. I wouldn't be surprised if Austin Eckler gets at least 75 yards rushing on the ground and potentially up to 125 yards as well. Uh, simply just because Austin Eckler is a huge piece of that Chargers offense. And I think if they get him involved in the running game early, and they also utilize him out of the passing game extremely well, uh, he's one of the more proficient running backs that you'll ever see in the passing game. And the Chargers do a great job with that, using him in that role. I think it will just open up the offense for the Chargers as a whole. And I think that Jaguars defense, while it can be a very ferocious pass rush, uh, specifically with that Jags front four, maybe you can even throw in their front seven as well. I think the Chargers are going to make some adjustments to try to get that pass rush um, not home. And I think th there's going to be an emphasis on getting the ball early and really getting that pass rush of Jacksonville kind of stymied if they're not able to get Justin on the ground consistently throughout that first half. So to me, it, it, this is just going to be an interesting game to see how it plays out. I think this is going to be a back-and-forth game. And... I really see this game going one of two ways. Either it's going to be a shootout where both defenses struggle or both defenses are going to play pretty well and this is going to be a low-scoring game. I'm actually more inclined to believe that this will be a lower-scoring game simply just because I think both quarterbacks are going to struggle at first. They may improve in the second half, but since this is a new uh, territory for both of them, I think there's going to be mistakes made by both quarterbacks. I think Trevor's going to make more uh, despite this being a home game. And I think Justin Herbert and the Chargers are going to make uh, them pay in that regard. So as far as I see this game being played out, I think it's going to be a one-position game when it's all said and done. I'm going to give the edge to the Chargers here. I'm going to say they win this one by the score of 23-17. to 17. Um, I think Justin Herbert is going to lead some drives late in that second half, probably late in the fourth quarter, that are going to get them into position to score touchdowns. And I just don't think that Trevor Lawrence and that Jags offense are going to be able to do enough uh, despite being at home. So I think this is going to be a fun game, though, none the least. And um, with two quarterbacks like this that are young and have a lot of potential to go, um, I don't think it's going to be like a death nail in the coffin for their individual careers. I think there's still a lot left uh, for these guys. They have a long way to go in their NFL career. But I'm going to give the edge to Justin Herbert and the Chargers, and I think they advance to a divisional round uh, after this weekend is settled and over with. Yeah, I can see there being a little bit of uh, coaching jitters, though, because yeah. with Sean Payton kind of looming, um, and that being, he's already talked about how that's the, if he could go to one place, it'd be Los Angeles, and he could go coach. Oh, that quarterback over there, you know, they got that guy. Mm -hmm. um, I can see Brandon Staley kind of trying to prove too much, though, and like, 
doing some of the more reckless, stupid things that he does. I, I think Staley is amazing of like the having the cones to do some of the crazy things that he wants to do. But I could see him just doing something at the wrong time, kind of like what he did um, against the Chiefs and just like go for it, go for it too, too early in the game and it just screws him over. Go for a fourth on their own like 40. So that's something to just kind of pay attention to in that game because Doug Peterson doesn't do that. He'll go for some every now and then a trick play or like a let's go for two when we need just to kind of make the, the score even out. But Staley just kind of does some weird, reckless things sometimes. Well, I think what it comes my thing, to... My, my, go ahead. Oh, go my ahead. Back, Kyle. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say my biggest concern for the Chargers is similar to what Charlie said. If Staley gets too overconfident and they start leaning on uh, Herbert more, like when he has 45, 50 passing attempts, you become one-dimensional. And I know that Austin Eckler is confident and he's well, well more than capable enough to catch out of the backfield. You limit yourself to what your playbook is. You abandon the run game. Um, you start to be way too consistent in putting all the pressure on Justin. Again, a rookie quarterback in terms of playoff experience. It's, it's, it's not a good look. There have been a multitude of games that Kyle and I have covered with the Chargers where you just look at it and you say, you know, whether it's a win or a loss, you know, 50 passing attempts, 52 passing attempts, 48 passing. You're just like, how much can you put on this kid to do? You have a dynamic running back in Eckler who can carry the load for 20 to 25 attempts. Why are you not leveraging that enough? And I know that he makes up for it in total yards and, and, and you know, scrimmage yards as a whole, but you cannot put all this pressure on an inexperienced quarterback and a rookie head coach in his first postseason. It's not going to be a good formula for success. Doug Peterson is prepared. He is a Super Bowl caliber head coach. He has proven it in turning around this team in Jacksonville. I wouldn't be surprised if they go pass heavy in LA, that pressure on the quarterback, Justin Herbert's going to be forced to make a couple of mistakes. And that's going to be the end of Brandon Staley's tenure. And to Charlie's point again, man, if, if Sean Payton is available and he's that interested, that's going to be a quick and easy decision for the Chargers GM to say, let's go get a head coach that's eventually going to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah, I think it just kind of comes down to whether or not that the Chargers can establish a run game early on. And I think the only reason why I, I bring that point up is to get that Jacksonville pass rush, basically keep them in the stables. Just because when that Jacksonville pass rush, when they are pinning their ears back and they're just basically bum-rushing the offensive line to get to the quarterback – the Jags got some good pass rushers. I mean, we even, saw, we even saw that against the Titans last week where they were able to get to Josh Dobbs effectively. And uh, they ended up getting the strip sack that eventually led to the game-winning touchdown for them last week. I think, uh, what's his name? Um, Josh Allen, not the quarterback yeah. in Buffalo. Josh Allen, uh, the defensive player in Jacksonville. From I think ended up, or something. Yeah, he, he scooped and scored it. It wasn't even really a scoop. It just kind of like bounced into like his like midsection and he just ran with it for a touchdown. But overall, you know, I, I do think this is going to be a relatively close game. And it's just, I don't know what it, what it is with this game in particular, why I think it's going to be lower scoring. I think it's more just because I think both quarterbacks are going to relatively struggle just because of the stage that they're on. They're not accustomed to this. Um, even though the Justin and Trevor have the capabilities of putting up, you know, 300, 350 yards passing. And trust me, I would love a game like that to happen. I think there's going to be a lot more emphasis on defense for both teams here. And I wouldn't be surprised if both quarterbacks relatively struggle. If it's not the case, though, then great. You know, then we're in a shootout and, you know, then it's like maybe like 34, 31 when it's all said and done. I would love that, too. But I just 
I got this gut feeling. I think it's going to be more of a grind, but I think the Chargers are going to make just enough plays to get by Jacksonville in this one. Um, despite the fact that Doug Peterson is a head, is a Super Bowl winning head coach, and this is a completely different team than what he had with the Eagles a couple years ago. When you look back to that Eagles team that he had at his disposal, there were a lot of veterans on that team. It was a much more well-rounded group. When it comes to Jacksonville, Jacksonville's a young team, and I think there's a lot more potential for them in the next couple of years. But um, I think they're going to go. They're going to have to basically go through some bumps in the road along the way. And I think for Jacksonville, this is going to be one of the bumps along the way. There's going to be some growing pains with them, and I think this is going to be one of those moments where. I think they're just they're gonna have to just kind of roll with the punches until they really get uh moving with Trevor at the helm and Doug leading the way at the head coaching spot. But Kev, sure. Kev yeah. um we still got four more games to get to. Do you want to take the next two? Yeah, man, I got you. I was literally about to suggest the same thing. This game, it's a little it's it's different for me. Tua Tonga Vilo has been ruled out, and we're getting into the Dolphins going into the Bills game. Um the Bills have all of the emotional roller coaster, all of the emotional support with everything that's happened over the course of the last few weeks with Demar Hamlin. Shout out to him; he's been released from the Buffalo Hospital. He's going to be doing rehab and all these different things at home and with the Bills. So, I mean, thank God he's well and he is back home where he belongs. So, shout out to the medical staff in Cincinnati and Buffalo. You know, big, big, big kudos to that. But again, in terms of the playoff aspects of it, two has been ruled out. He hasn't cleared concussion protocol here. We don't know about the status of Teddy Bridgewater. It looks like Skylar Thompson is going to be starting for the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins are riddled with their own injuries, own inconsistencies. Apparently, Mike McDaniels is on the hot seat. If they don't win, he might get fired. I, there, there's just so many narratives going into this, and it just it doesn't make sense. This game is just overly complicated for no reason. So without Tua and Teddy going up against one of the best teams in the NFL, Kyle, I'm going to kick this one to you first. Who, what kind of outcome do you think this is going to be? Is this going to be a blowout, or is this going to be one of those embarrassing games the Dolphins shouldn't even show up to? I think the Bills are going to just destroy them in this game. I think this has the potential to be a three-touchdown win for the Bills here. And it's simply just because we're talking about Skylar Thompson. We're not even talking Teddy Bridgewater. We're talking Skylar Thompson. And look, I mean, you make it to an NFL roster, you got to be somewhat decent to be able to make it. But going up against that Bills defense, good luck. I just don't see that happening in any way, shape, or form. Just to kind of put things in perspective, when we looked at the Dolphins last week, the Dolphins basically had to scrape for the last wild card spot uh, to get into the playoffs in the AFC. They scored 11 points. Like the the score between the Dolphins and the Jets last week was 11 to six. That's something that you would see particularly in a baseball game. You, you would see a score like that in baseball every now and then. And the fact that Skylar Thompson really wasn't able to generate any sort of consistent offense with the Dolphins in that game against the Jets, albeit the Jets have a pretty stingy defense, it's not a good look going up against Buffalo. And Buffalo has one of the best defenses in the NFL. And Buffalo is coming off of a huge emotional high, getting that big win at home against the Patriots last week. And I think... That game for the Bills kind of settled them based off of how the DeMar Hamlin situation was going prior to that game. And I think now that they got those jitters and they got a lot of those butterflies out of their system from the DeMar Hamlin situation, I think that the Bills are really primed for a potential Super Bowl run here. Kevin and I picked them as our Super Bowl pick this year, and I think they have a real good chance to make that happen. And it would start with a win over the Dolphins. 
when I look at the Bills from top to bottom, offensively, defensively, I think they have the advantage over the Dolphins. And I think in this game, I think this is going to be a typical Josh Allen-led performance from the Bills' offense. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Josh Allen throws the ball 35 to 40 times. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he runs the ball 5 to 10 times and, and probably gets somewhere around 50 to 75 yards. He does a great job extending plays with his feet, picking up first down uh, first downs for the Bills' offense. And look, when you have guys to throw to, like Stephon Diggs, Gabriel Davis, Isaiah McKenzie, Dawson Knox, you got plenty of targets at your disposal to work with, and I think they're going to be able to exploit that Dolphins defense pretty significantly in this game. And I just think that Dolphins defense is going to be out there on the field way too long because Skylar Thompson is not going to generate really any sort of consistent movement for that Miami offense. And you factor that in, you factor the time possession element into this game. I think the Bills are going to be heavily favored with the time possession in this one. I wouldn't be surprised if the the Bills have 35 minutes to 38 minutes of time of possession compared to maybe 20 to 25 minutes with the Dolphins here. I just don't really see the Dolphins being able to overcome their quarterback issue with Tua not being able to play because he hasn't cleared concussion protocol. So as far as I see it with this game, I got the Bills winning this one big. I think the Bills get out to an early lead. I think they probably force a turnover too off of Skylar Thompson. And I think that just compounds the issues for Miami moving forward. And I think there's a very good chance that we could actually see Josh Allen on the bench resting late in the fourth quarter. Because I think the the margin of their lead is going to be so wide that they don't need him late in the fourth quarter. And they can basically preserve him and some of their other starters potentially going into a divisional game in that scenario. So as far as I see it, I got the Bills winning this one big. I I think the Bills put up probably 31 to 34 points in this game. I think the Dolphins are probably lucky to crack 17. So as far as I see it, I, I think this is going to be like a 31 to 14 score. I think the Bills win this one big. And it, to me, this is the closest thing as a lock for where we are in this point in the season. Typically, a lot of these games can be a lot more competitive. This is not going to be that. So the Bills win this one big, and they will advance to the AFC Divisional Round. So, Charlie, I'll kick this one to you from here. Yeah, I I don't see really any hope. Uh, it's tough. I'm down here in Miami, so you have a lot of the, the hope for the team, but it's just once Tua went out back in the Cincinnati game, like it just kind of – deflated the season since then they lost to the chargers they lost to the niners they lost to so many teams that just ripped them apart just to expose their offense even when two was in like it just i think this is going to be one of those big balloon letting the air out slowly and just weaseling out at the end of the year it just i don't think mike mcdaniel's an issue at all i hope like what kevin said i hope that doesn't happen i He's he's a good coach. I think he great mind. So I hope that he stays and they don't do something crazy because um, their owner is very old and really wants to win. So, uh, but yeah, the Bills are emotionally high. Their offense is finally clicking again. Um, they around the middle of the season they started getting a run game going, and if they have a run game going, whether it's uh, with Josh Allen or with their like three running backs now um and just i i don't mean to sound so like apocalyptic about this but it just oh 
I don't see this game being within two scores. Like it's if I had to put a number on it, maybe like thirteen, two field goals and a score for the Dolphins and like thirty, thirty-five. Like I, I think it could easily just be ugly quick and a blowout. The really the only way that it could be any sort of a competitive game is if Dolphins pass rush gets home. But then they have to get Josh Allen to the ground. So, like, it just, I, I don't have much hope for this game. This will probably be one of the, this and that Seattle game are probably going to be the worst two games of the weekend. Yeah, the floor is yours. I mean, I, I have to say this with a heavy heart because my little brother is the biggest Dolphins fan I know, has been since he was a little kid. And again, we are born and raised native New Yorkers. So him picking the Dolphins and then eventually moving to Florida could not have been a better situation for him. But this is going to be probably, I'm calling it right now, this is going to be one of the biggest blowouts in postseason history. There is nothing that is going to keep me away from saying that because they are on their third string quarterback. They are facing one of the best offenses in the league, an MVP candidate, and one of the better defenses in the league at home in Buffalo in January. And let's not, let's not front. It's going to be pretty fucking cold. So we're talking about every single element that goes into a football game. Depth, defense, offense, weather, spiritual aura. Like there, It's just there is nothing on Miami's side. They're deflated without their first two quarterback options. And again, like I said, Buffalo is still riding that play for DeMar hype. They're in the postseason. They're at the two seed. They are just, they have everything going for them in every facet of the word. Better special teams, better running backs, better quarterback. I, you, you can make the argument of, Tyreek Hill and Stefan Diggs, obviously one is better than the other at other things, but it, without Tua, without, without Teddy, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are not going to be utilized to the fullest extent. Mike McDaniels is going to be very, very limited to what he can do because Skyler is not Tua. T- Skyler is not accurate like Tua. He's not going to be able to distribute the ball like Tua. And for whatever reason, they know how to run the football very well when they want to with Mostert and Wilson, and yet they don't run the football as consistently as they should. You should lean on the run game to give your quarterback a break, to create play action, to keep the ball away from Josh Allen. But Miami likes to pass, pass, pass. And like Kyle said, yes, the Jets' defense is stingy. You played Joe Flacco last week, and you literally won by five points? You're playing Josh Allen. This is, this is... The, Bro, it's not even a, it's not even a, a, a fathomable comparison. This could easily be a 35-point blowout by halftime because of the dynamic capabilities of this Buffalo offense. Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen are the best wide receiver tandem over the course of the last three seasons. Kyle and I already talked about this. Zach Moss, that was traded for Naeem Himes, is turning out to be an incredible acquisition as of last week with the two kickoff returns. So now special teams is riding a high. Then you go and you talk about Dalvin Cook's little brother, James Cook, and Devin Singletary are playing great football at a high capacity for the running back committee that's over there. Every facet of the offense is moving at the highest capability possible at the perfect time in the postseason. I'm sorry. Xavier Howard's not playing well. Bradley Chubb is in and out of the lineup with injury. I mean, Armstead at the left tackle that they paid all this money to from the Saints, he's been hurt. There, there's no hope. I'm sorry to all Dolphins fans. The fact that you got in this playoff is a miracle in and of itself. 
and the only person you have to blame is yourselves. There were too many games that you had the opportunity to win early on, and you just didn't capitalize. And then when Tua went out and came back, you played a couple good teams, like Charlie said, and you were exposed. That is 1,000% on you. You either weren't prepared or you underperformed, or both, because clearly you were not ready for the opponents that you faced, and you're not going to be ready for Buffalo in the playoffs. This is going to be short and sweet. This game's over by halftime, without a doubt. Buffalo routes them. They actually jump-started the Chargers' defense. That was the first time the Chargers' defense looked competent all year, and since then, they've been good. <laughs> yeah, it's... You gotta start from somewhere, Charlie right? said, Charlie, Charlie said, clear! <laughs> well, they, they had offense looking inept, and then since then, I'm like, okay, we, we can do this. Yeah, it's just... Kev, you really have it as, like, one of the worst blowouts in NFL playoff history. Dude, you have to. You have to. I have no faith Skylar Thompson even scores a touchdown. I don't. Unless, unless, Unless Josh throws a turnover and they're in the red zone, I have no faith that they can drive the field from the kickoff, from the 25 yard line and drive it down the field. I have no faith. That's the preseason uh, player of the year there you're talking about, bud. Mm. Sorry. Mm. <laughs> mm. It's rough around I these streets. I can't. I can't, yeah. bro. I just can't. I, I have I, no faith. I, I mean, I, the Dolphins' defense better show up. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, okay. Because if they don't, yeah, it's over. I, I will say the only thing, like you said, Kevin, I think the only thing that keeps the Dolphins in it is if they force turnovers against Josh Allen. And I will say, Josh Allen's been turnover prone this year. Correct. I mean, we even saw a scenario last week where the Bills are in the red zone, trying to get some points late in the first half. Pass rush gets home for the Patriots, throws Josh off of his feet, basically throws a layup pass to Devin McCourty. And, you know, those were points that, you know, obviously the, the Bills won that game. Um, that game wasn't dictated by that interception just because the Bills came out on fire in the second half and couldn't, they didn't skip a beat. But overall, there's still plays for that Dolphins defense to be had against Josh Allen if that pass rush, I'm not even saying gets home. If they can just force pressures to get Josh to throw an errant pass, maybe that secondary can make some plays to maybe get a tip pass, maybe get an interception. And I will say, even when it comes to the Bills running back committee, they have been known to fumble the ball at times. Last week was another example where I believe Devin Singletary on their own side of the field, inside their own 20, fumbled it. Patriots pounced on it. And fortunately for the Bills, the Bills only gave up three points in that in that uh, that exchange there. But the one thing that could bite the Bills in the ass is their turnover issues. And they have been more prevalent this year compared to years past. And I think if you're looking at it from a Dolphins fan perspective, I think that's the only hope that you have. Because offensively, it ain't happening. I can tell you that right now. They're going to be lucky to score 14 to 17 points. Like you said, Kev, they scored 11. 11. Kev, there were times where baseball teams scored more points than that or got more runs than that. So it's going to be rough for Miami. The only only thing done wrong all year is give their fans hope as a chargers fan i know that feeling well far too well 
they hope made, is the devil in sports. They made it. They made it here. I mean, does that count for something? They made no. it. No. No, it does not count. I mean, at no. the beginning of the year, like I said, being in Miami, they were telling that they were they might as well have been the the Patriots dynasty happening of just oh we we got this it's a it's a lock we got Tyreek Hill like we're good Mike McDaniel's he's gonna make this work blah 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 and then they started rolling and everyone's like yeah I told you bro like we got this it is literally like done and yeah it all it took was a few injuries which welcome to the Chargers life um, to unravel everything. Yeah, and th- this whole idea that Mike McDaniel should be fired after one season as a head it's coach. Ludicrous. With, it's with, ludicrous. It's ludicrous. With all the injuries that they've had this year, I, I mean, Tua got hurt twice, has two concussions this year alone. And and maybe I, three. Yeah, potentially three. I mean, yeah. and I will say, I, I will give Mike McDaniel some credit. I think he understands the situation with Tua. He's playing the long game. He's not like... I think when it comes to this year specifically, I think he's like, look, more than likely, he's not going to say it publicly. I think he knows deep down they're going to get their shit rocked against the Bills. But Derek Carr. Derek Carr. Mm. I'd take Derek Carr and that offense in a heartbeat. That'd be fun watching Derek Carr and Tyreek Hill. That'd be fun. Them are the Jets? Heartbeat. Hmm. That Good Derek, point. That Derek Carr would that, that would be interesting in Miami. That would be very interesting. I, but I, 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 I think I, I think I, I think like, it's, I think since we're on that topic, they're still rolling with Tua though. Tua, to, to, uh, to, since we're on that topic, Tua got to take care of himself, man. Those those concussions are not good, yeah. dude. We're talking two or three in a season. And people are talking about Tua's got to play for their hopes and dreams, bro. This is a man's life. Did we not just talk about Demar? Like I understand, it's it's severely different, but two is a husband. He wants to be a father. Like he needs to be present and functional in his life. Like football is a game. If these concussions persist, that could change his life forever. So yeah. people need to calm down and realize he needs time to heal, evaluate all these things. So all the Miami fans that I've heard saying, "Oh, two is soft." Dude, you go get knocked down by a 350-pound lineman and get up not knowing where the hell you are three or four times in the game. Tell me if you're going to be fine with that. So I think people need to chill, man. I don't know what's going to happen with them in the offseason. They've been linked to Lamar Jackson with him being a native uh, from Fort Lauderdale from Florida. They've been linked to a bunch of different things. I mean, Derek Carr is probably going to get cut because they're asking for probably a first-round pick, if not two. No one's trading that with the salary that he's owed, which is $40 million a year. So more than likely, the Dolphins are going to be able to make a run at him. It's just a matter of, you know, are they going to spend their capital on him or are they going to reinvest in Tua? There's a, there's a lot of question marks in Miami in the offseason for sure. Do you think that they're going to cut bait with Tua? No. If it comes down to Mike McDaniels or Tua, if 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 I'm being honest, Tua's track history is too much, man. He's got to go. I can't like we 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 tried. You were injured in your rookie year. You were injured this year. I, I just I can't continue to invest in someone that has a new injury every single season. I'm sorry. So what I would expect them to do is bring in Teddy's fine, kind of like Jacoby Brissett. Like he's they're fine. Andy Dalton, they're fine. Like they they can be a kind of like best case. Bridge. 
best case or safe case scenario. I think I have a good backup. Like, yeah, like, and if you have to ride them for a year, it's it's fine. Like, you might be able to squeak into the playoffs if your team's good enough. But like, they should bring in a competitive somebody. Keep Tua. Just I don't know what to do with the contract because he's all all those uh, him Burrow and Herbert all have contract years, right? They have like the the rookie extension. Yeah, they have their fifth year option. I think I don't know if Miami picked it up though. But like, so he, I think next year would be that would be his fourth year because they were but, drafted in the COVID year, right? Twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah, this would be next year. Would be fourth. But I don't know what to do with him. I would keep him, but you got to bring someone else in that's not Teddy or Skylar Thompson. Do you draft you somebody? Bring a competent person hey. that's like a mid tier quarterback. Do you draft somebody, though, is the question. I don't think so. There's some good quarterbacks in this draft. I wouldn't be surprised if Miami was willing to offload some of their assets, maybe get rid of Xavier Howard on draft day, unload that contract, get a couple picks. Maybe. Or do you think they go after somebody like Lamar? I mean, uh, dude, I, I, you're already if focused ours- on financials. You just gave Bradley Chubb a bag. You gave Xavier Howard a bag. You gave Tyreek Hill a bag. Lamar wants a fully guaranteed contract. I think, <laughs> I think Miami would be stupid to go after Lamar after all of the people they have guaranteed money owed to in the next couple of years. It's suicide. And he's injury prone too. That's yeah. what I'm saying. And and Waddle's gonna be due up for a contract in the next year or two as well. I, dude, you just gave Armstead a bag at left tackle. Well, dude, Miami needs to be smart and figure out how to offload these deals, not be signing one of the biggest contracts in NFL history. It seems as if like we're more like the the way that we're kind of setting it up is like maybe their best case forward here, or their best path forward here, is to stick with Tua, despite all the concussion issues. Unless they were to like completely just pivot and and make a decision to get rid of Tua, but it's like, okay, well. What's the backup plan going to be? They're still going to have to pay him soon, regardless. No, you don't, because you can decline the fifth-year option. He's a free agent. You're not obliged anymore. But, it's not like the old days. I'm saying, like, even if you're keeping two around, say he does, because this year he played good up until those concussions. So say he yeah. plays good again next year. Maybe he has, like, an ankle injury, whatever. Something, like, minor that's just a setback, but he's still playing good. What do you do that fifth year? He's you pick it. I mean, you pick. So the, the thing is, with, with first-round picks... Like, the the further the years go on, obviously you're making a little bit more money as the years progress. I think the fifth year option, depending on your actual contract, is going to be the most expensive year because that's the extended portion of you being a first round pick. Depends on that is it depends on the exactly it depends right and and with him being a top five pick because he was number five, I would assume that that fifth year is probably pretty hefty because he's done relatively well. If if I'm Miami and I'm the front office, right? I'm 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 listening to offers this season. Just listening because the draft class is so stacked quarterback wise. I'm just listening. If I don't get anything relatively good, Tua comes back, we make another run at it, right? Keep Mike McDaniels, run it up. If he does well, if he kills it, I'm trading him that offseason. You gotta ride high. Sell while the iron's hot. Capitalize. You have to pay him regardless the next season. You accept the fifth year or you pay him an extension. Nowadays, with the average of quarterback salaries being 30-plus million a year, someone who's injury-prone, you're going to have to pay, trade him, cut him loose, draft somebody else. Now, trading You will get him, capital for somebody like that. Trading him is interesting. 
I could see that. I just I couldn't see them just like waving him or anything like that or like like if just you pick up the fifth year. Correct me if I'm wrong, Kyle. If you pick up the fifth year and you trade him, that means that team is obliged to pay him a portion of that fifth year, correct? I believe so. So pick up Miami will take a piece of that, whether that's 50 to 60% of it. Get draft capital back for him, and you go and you pay that to somebody else depends or you draft the, somebody else. Depends on the split. Right. It would depend on the split because, I, I mean, <clears> we, we've seen teams take a majority of that fifth-year option. Yeah, I mean, look at Roquan Smith. The the freaking uh, the Bears took the majority of that hit. Mm-hmm. They gave him back. Yeah, would you well, take the, him on the Ravens did? But I what? Would you take two on the Colts? Uh, no, we have the equivalent of a high school football team for an offensive line. So Tua would probably be neurologically permanently damaged if he played for the Colts. Your players are good. They just have played bad this year. Right. Do you take a gamble on someone who's already injury prone with a bad offensive line? That just sounds like a formula for disaster, personally. That's a fair yeah. point. I, I, I can't think of a, a quarterback opening that you could trade to a two that has a good line. You can. Mm, you Tampa. can make. The, you can. You can make. Uh, you can make. No, Tampa's offensive line is dog shit this year. But that's what I'm you saying. Can, like, you can maybe go up the route, Tennessee. I was Ryan just Tannehill's thinking, obviously I was not working. Just thinking Tennessee. Yeah, T- Ryan Tannehill's not tan- panning out. I Malik guess. Willis, Malik Willis. It would be a competition. I mean, you can say, "Hey, we drafted you in the third round. We're bringing in a vet." Da 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 da. You know, it, 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 it would I work. Even, I don't even think Malik's the guy. I mean, they started. Dude, Josh, he's ass. I mean, they started Josh Dobbs in that their biggest game of the year that last week. He's ass. You're talking about Josh. Like he played. No, 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 no. But well, both of them are ass. He played at Liberty. Who the fuck plays Liberty? He's ass. Another hype video. Oh, he did this at his pro day. Oh, he could throw 75 yards on, on, on a whim. Congratulations. You fucking suck. Like, Cut it out. I hate these quarterbacks to come out of these lower conference fucking schools and you have a good pro day or a good fucking senior bowl and you're like, like get the lower fuck out of here, bro. Get out of here, bro. BYU quarterback, fucking Liberty, North Dakota State, whatever the fuck, all these random ass schools, bro. Kiss my ass, bro. If you're not coming out of SEC, Big 12, your ass. Carson Period. Wentz was an MVP candidate before he tore his ACL with the Eagles. And, and a lot of people nowadays, and a lot of people nowadays are starting to say that was the system with Peterson and the offense that he had around him. It worked. League's best offensive line, one of the better defenses in the league, and Nick Foles led them. And what has Nick Foles done outside of Philadelphia? Dick. It was the system. Carson Wentz has been on two teams since then. Ass. Do you do you think uh, do you think Josh Allen ruined that uh, the mindset of those small schools when they used to not get any uh, looks for like oh yeah he's talented but he went to Wyoming. But so Josh yeah. Allen Josh Allen was a different look. breed from what I could understand because of one he actually had arm strength that he displayed in game not in pro days. With no defense, and Josh mean? Allen had the physical stature yep. with that six 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 frame, six seven frame, and he ran like he's a not, four six forty. He's not six seven, dude. But I he, said six five six six. You said six, Josh Allen's the, huge. He's, he's huge. the least accurate. Oh, he's really he was like one of the most accurate quarterbacks in college, like ever. Yeah, I think it was like a fifty four. I didn't say it was accurate. I'm saying the potential was there, yes. and I think that 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 up. I think the ups outruled the cons because if it didn't work, it didn't work. I mean, for God's sakes, Josh Rosen was taken in that draft class too. We don't know how the fuck that happened. How that how that panned out? Yeah, I mean, 
I think he I think Josh landed in a good system with Sean McDermott as the uh agreed as the OC what and, and head fit. coach. It's just I think that was a good overall fit. And not only that, I mean they were able to bring in some pretty good talent to surround himself with. So I think overall, you know, I think Josh really got the, a good deal. And not only that, the Bills have a good defense. So when you factor all those pieces together, Josh really And Josh has improved. Except this year with the turnovers. That's the only right, thing right. that he's really kind of lagged behind. But, I mean, Agreed. Okay, we talked about this before. Peyton and Brady have had years in their past, like when they were first kind of coming up, where they threw 13, 14, 15 interceptions. Like, yep. it, it, it happens. Like, there's adjustments that happen all the time with some of these younger quarterbacks. And honestly, sometimes you can use those seasons as learning experiences. I know Brady did. Because, I mean, you know, Brady, like, 2004, 2005 was not the quarterback he was when he was in 2007, where he threw 50 touchdowns yeah, and, and only threw eight interceptions. So, I mean, there were years where he threw 14, 15 interceptions. It, it, it happened. And if Josh is going yeah, through the every, same Everybody's thing, got off so years. But, yeah. I mean, but we have we have so much more to go to. I think we went off on such a tangent. Charlie, Sorry, this yeah. is what happens. It just, it whoosh. That was fun, though. Down the <laughs> rabbit fun. hole. That was fun. <laughs> So uh, the next game is going to be a game that is conflicting for me specifically um, as a native New Yorker, as somebody who cheers for the New York Giants on a regular basis, just because you want to see your home team do good. Um, they're going up against uh, probably the frauds of the postseason, or should I say frauds of the NFL season in the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, the Vikings have been very inconsistent over the last couple of weeks. Um, the Giants have found a way to turn it around. Brian Dable has turned around this franchise. They have found ways to get it done, despite <laughs> having Daniel Jones as a quarterback. Believe it or not, he actually had a pretty good season. Saquon Barkley's healthy. And again, I say it again, despite having all the injuries to the wide receiver core, here they are as a sixth seed in the playoffs. So, Charlie, I'm going to pose this one to you, man. Who do you have coming out of this 3-6 matchup this weekend? It's, uh, it's the 4 o'clock game, right? Uh yes, four thirty. Yeah, I got the Vikings. As long as it's not <laughs> night, I Kirk Cousins second, second the lights come on, it's over. So no, uh, I'll take uh, if they ride Dalvin Cook and basically let him be the workhorse of their team. I know the Giants' D line is massive, but if they can just ride him and get that going, just just a little bit. Just keep feeding him the ball and just keep going. No one can cover Justin Jefferson. Like the the best I like I said Mike Williams earlier, but he's the Randy Moss 2.0 freak of nature, like just go up and get any ball. Him and Hopkins are probably the two best jump ball receivers in the game. And I guess Mike Williams would probably be right behind them. Um Hawkinson is a monster. Like at any point in time, you always have Hawkinson roaming around somewhere in the secondary. Like I just I don't see the the Giants' offense just running the ball the entire game. I know that the Vikings have a horrible defense, but they're just gonna. I, I have a feeling it's gonna be kind of like the uh, the Colts game. I'm sorry to bring that up, but that fucking hurt. That hurt. That wasn't needed. Kyle, get him off. No, I'm gonna let him roll with it. He's he's in the game right now, Kev. I have a feeling it's gonna be like that, where it's just they kind of look meh. They're running the ball a lot. It's just kind of slowly grinding away, and then 
the Giants have to start playing offense to try to do anything. And they'll probably be it'll probably be like a one score game, Giants up, and then the floodgates will come. Because that offense will stop moving. Like you can't just ride Saquon and running behind Daniel Jones. Like Slayton isn't gonna do it as a receiver. Yeah, it's I, I don't think it's gonna be a good game. This is probably this and that um Niners actually, there's a lot of bad games this weekend now that I'm thinking about it. Just bad matchups, not gonna be fun. This this is gonna be like a what, like twenty to twenty one game or something like that, twenty twenty four. It's gonna be not good, just kind of an average NFL game. It's not gonna even feel like a playoff game. Kirk Cousins is probably gonna throw two picks. Eh. It's gonna be like two fifty yards, two picks, and somehow they score four touchdowns. Yeah, but we'll let you take it. I know you got I know you got a little bit hurt by that Colts comment. It's a, it, listen, it's fine. The Chargers have broken my heart growing up way more times than I can count with Cromartie and oh, oh yeah. Oh, with, with oh my god. They they they've, they've crushed our Darren Sproles, Antonio Cromartie, um Ladanian Thomas and Philip Rivers. They're, they're not my favorite bunch of people growing up in the early 2000s, but let's just get into this game. So I actually have the Giants winning this game. I think with the combination of Minnesota's offensive line playing absolutely atrocious the second half of the season, Minnesota's defense being the worst defense in the postseason, and the offense's incapability of being able to get into a consistent rhythm over the course of the last few weeks is going to give the Giants opportunities. This defense is hungry. This defense is young. They have a good pass rush. Their corners are solid. I agree with Charlie. I don't think anybody can necessarily cover Justin Jefferson except for Jair Alexander, who decided to rob me of my fantasy football championship. And again, Jair, you owe me money, man. Two points, bro. Really? You couldn't let him get a couple fucking points. Anyway, um, sorry. That's just it. I'm not going to forgive him for that. Um, I just, I don't know, man. I think Daniel Jones has done enough this year to prove to me that he is not going to win you a game with his arm, but his capabilities in, and, the, and the play calling of Dable shows that whether he's on the ground, dipping and diving to, you know, the short, the flat, whatever he's got to do, lean on Saquon for 25 to 30 rushing attempts, it's not going to be the, the, the cleanest game in the world. It's not going to be the most exciting game in the world, similar to what Charlie said. But I think they get it done because I think they are more of a gritty, more dominant football team. I think they want it more. I think that they're ready for the adversity. I think that Daniel Jones is tired of the scrutiny. And Saquon's been itching to have himself a pretty big game. He hasn't had one in the last few weeks as well. So I think that he's going to be able to bust a couple big runs out just because of Minnesota's defense being as bad as it is. Um, I think where this can get out of hand is if you put the ball into Daniel Jones's hands too much, similar to what I said about the Chargers game. If you have Daniel Jones throwing this ball 30, 35, even 40 times, this could get out of hand and Minnesota's defense with Pat Peterson could find a way to get uh, creative. Uh, Daniel Jones has been known in his career to turn the ball over pretty frequently, which he has not turned it over a lot this year. But this is also his first postseason game. So I think that the um, the veteran in Kirk Cousins who has played in a multitude of postseason games could have that advantage and find a way to rally and bounce back. But they're going to have to run that offense like Charlie had stated with Dalvin Cook and kind of keep that ball away from the Giants. But I, I don't know. I, I, I think this is going to be a weird one. I think this is going to be... 28 24 24 21 something like that but i got the g-men coming out with the upset for sure in minnesota kev i'm gonna go with the vikings on this one but 
I've said this time and time before with the Vikings. I don't have a lot of faith with them. And we have seen these two teams play each other already this year. They played on Christmas Eve. And, you know, when we look at that game in particular, the Giants offense was able to effectively move the ball up and down the field against the Vikings defense. They almost had 450 yards of total offense against the Vikings. The only thing that hurt the Giants in that game was that they turned the ball over twice to the Vikings. One was an interception. Uh, they also lost a fumble as well. And the Vikings were able to cash in on those turnovers. Now, going into this game, I think it's going to be very similar to what we saw in the, in the first matchup. I think it's going to be a very poorly played defensive game for both teams here. Simply just because when I look at Kirk Cousins and that Vikings offense, Charlie, like you said, this game is not a primetime game, so maybe we're going to see a better version of Kirk Cousins. Um, granted, it's not the 1 o'clock slot. I know that like that's yeah. like his primetime slot where he just goes bonkers. But in this in this 425 slot, 430 slot, whatever it is, I think he'll play pretty well against the Giants' defense. And that's despite the fact that the Giants have a pretty stingy defense. I mean, the Giants damn near beat the Eagles last week that could have potentially thrown the entire NFC into shambles had the Eagles yeah. lost that game. So going into this game, I think defensively, I think the Giants will be able to play pretty well against that Vikings um, offense at times. It's just I think there are going to be moments where I think Kirk is going to take some deep shots. And I think that I think Justin Jefferson, K.J. Osborne, and maybe even Adam Thielen are going to come up with some plays to really – put that Giants defense on their heels. And I, I still wouldn't be surprised if the Vikings are still going to be able to move the ball effectively at times. And, you know, maybe you throw in some times where the Giants defense uh, steps up and makes some plays to get the Vikings offense off the field for a punt. But overall, I just don't have faith in Daniel Jones. I know he's going up against the Vikings defense, and they're one of the worst defenses. They're one of the worst defenses in the playoffs right now. But... Until Daniel Jones proves to me that he could be a winning quarterback in a playoff scenario, which we haven't seen up until this point, I just don't have a lot of faith in him. Maybe this is a game where the Giants lean on Saquon Barkley more than Daniel simply just because Saquon could have a really big game on the in the ground game for New York where he could tear off 100 to 125 yards and maybe get a touchdown or two. I think what this game is going to come down to is who's going to make the first mistake. And I'm more inclined to believe, I can't believe I'm actually saying this, I think it's going to be Daniel Jones over Kirk Cousins. I know Kirk Cousins has had plenty of mistakes in his past when it comes to the playoffs. And I wouldn't be surprised if he makes mistakes in this game as well. It's just I think Daniel Jones will make the first mistake, and I think it's going to put them behind the eight ball, and I think that Giants offense is going to try to get back into the game by just simply passing the ball too much like Kevin had just outlined a couple of minutes ago. And I think they're going to dig themselves in a hole. I think they're going to turn the ball over a couple times against this Vikings defense. They already did it once um, against the Giants where the Vikings defense was able to force some turnovers, uh, multiple ones uh, in that first matchup. And I think they will be able to do it again. But to me, this is going to be a very competitive game. I, I think this is going to be a decent scoring game. I think this is going to be very similar to the first matchup where we saw a 27-24 score in favor of the Vikings the first time around. Honestly, I'm going to pretty much put a similar type of score. I think they win 24 to 21 over the Giants here. I think Kirk Cousins does enough against the Giants defense. And I think overall, the Vikings do just enough to get by. 
uh, the Giants in this one. But like I said, you I, guys, I just don't have a lot of faith with the Vikings here. But if I had to pick one over the other, I'm going with the Vikings. This is like a 51-49 split for me. I'm going with the Vikings on this one. That's just how I see I, it. The uh, a TikTok game. And by that, I mean it's going to be a game where when the Giants have the ball, you just tune out to TikTok. And then you see, oh, Kirk Cousins got the ball again. All right, back back to the game, back to the game. And then Kirk Cousins throws a pick back to TikTok because this is the, one of the worst defenses in the league against one of the worst offenses in the league. Just not good football on one side of the ball. And then you have a really young, good defense against a showtime inconsistent but a showtime often so it's well, gonna be fun for well, half the game I, I mean it is true that the giants do have one of the more subpar offenses in the league unless they're playing the colts then they look like world beaters it's i, I just don't know what it is oh this is just this is these are just shots today right the score kyle aren't we both playing are we both playing fucking golf at the same time just saying i mean the score speaks for itself kevin it was 38 to 10 i mean Right, right, right. No, it was great. You know, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau out here doing snow angels while Nick Foles has no idea where the fuck he is. But yeah, totally, totally fine. Anyway. Four times um, I lost my guy. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was totally fine. It's totally fine. Me and you were playing golf at the same time. Remember that. Um, <laughs> this this next one, Kyle, I'm going to need you to kick this one to me because, you know, it's my dog. All right, you ready? You sure? Oh, I'm always ready. All right. Uh, but with that said, we are going to transition to an AFC North battle that's going to take place in the AFC wild card this weekend. I know Kevin's chomping at the bit to talk about his boy, Joseph Burrow. Yes, sir. Uh, but just to kind of give you guys a setup with this game, it's going to feature the Baltimore Ravens and the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, the Ravens were able to get the sixth seed in the AFC wild card standings. Um, the Bengals won the AFC North pretty convincingly, but the Ravens were able to make a playoff spot. The Ravens have really been battling some injuries over the last couple of weeks. Lamar Jackson's status is up in the air, but he's kind of leaning to more likely not to play in this game. I think I think they I think they ruled him out. He said in a statement today, um, the knee isn't stable. He yeah. can't play. Yeah, so they're gonna have to. I mean, they're either gonna have to look at Tyler Huntley or they're gonna have to focus on a third string. So things are looking pretty dire with Baltimore going into this game. And then when you kick it to Cincinnati, Cincinnati's been one of the best teams in the NFL in the second half of the season. Joe Burrows looked like that very similar quarterback that we saw last year that led the Bengals to a Super Bowl appearance against the Rams last year. And, you know, with this being a home game for the Bengals, going up against a pretty battered Ravens team offensively, uh, this has the potential to get ugly pretty quickly. So, Kev, I'm going to quick, quick keep this one to you since this is your boy. Kev, we got the Ravens going up against the Bengals in Cincinnati in this AFC wildcard matchup. Who do you think is going to come out on top and why? So normally I would say it's a blowout, but for the sake of this being a divisional matchup and Baltimore having one of the better defenses in the second half of the year, I will say that this game will be competitive. I think that people are overcompensating for the fact that Lamar will not be available. Tyler Huntley is not the worst backup in the world. He is mobile. He can hit his open receivers. But the key word is receivers. Baltimore does not have the league's best offense by any means. And that is going to be the hardest part is finding people to get open, hitting receivers and finding ways to move the ball downfield without having to rely on your run game. And when you put the ball in Joe's hands, you have the capability to score 30 to 40 points because you have you have um, Jamar Chase. 
you have T. Higgins, you obviously have Tyler Boyd, and of course you have, um, of course now I'm Joe Mixon in the backfield and Hayden Hurst at the tight end position. Like this offense just looks to be competitive. This offense looks to be one of the best in the league, and for that sake, I will say the Cincinnati wins this game by seven to ten points. Lamar not being there is pivotal. He is a dynamic game changer. He is probably one of the most difficult quarterbacks to prepare for. I mean, Jalen Ramsey said it himself on the Shop podcast, on a couple of other podcasts. That is just, that is just an impossible quarterback to prep for because there's nobody that can replicate what he does on the field in terms of in practice. There's not you, you know you can practice against Josh Allen, you can practice against Patrick Mahomes. They're not Lamar Jackson. He is a different dynamic. He is a different type of player. So. With him not being on the field, I give the advantage solely and completely to Cincinnati because their defense has been playing better as the year has gone on. But again, Roquan Smith getting a massive extension. Their pass rush has been able to get to the quarterback lately. If for whatever reason, Cincinnati's offensive line decides not to show up like they did in all of last postseason, don't be surprised if this game could turn around and get ugly quickly because if Joe's got no time, that offense isn't moving anywhere. We all know this offense lives and breathes with Joe Burrow's success. So again, I have Cincinnati winning comfortably, at least by 10, or excuse me, at least by seven, but it's all dependent upon this offensive line. That is the key. Whoever wins the line of scrimmage battle is going to win this game. Charlie, I could get to you from here. Yeah, so I actually don't have much to say about this game since Lamar is not playing. It's just kind of the, the Tua effect with the Dolphins kind of, puts the, the air out of the balloon for their offense. Like so much is reliant on leaning on Lamar to open the field up. Uh, actually the, the, the word around the NFL of what they do for, um, for defensive coordinators to get prepared for that offense is they just stick their fastest running back or receiver out there to do play action and kind of do weird um, run scheme plays to like simulate for, what Lamar does. Yeah. So when that's not there, then yeah, I, that offense are you going to lean on Dobbins to run the ball forty times? You can't do that. Like, and Mark Andrews, yeah, he's the the monster, the the Bigfoot, but like, you got to get him the ball. Yeah, if they get down in the red zone, he's unstoppable. But you got to move the ball to get to the red zone. Like, I just I think that offense is too too meek with uh, without Lamar, and I don't see them scoring much. I, I do think they're going to get uh, a lot of pressure because Alex Kappa is actually uh, hurt right now, the Bengals center. So that interior O line is going to be a little little rough, and Baltimore's front seven is. Just monsters like they're all beasts so yeah i think roquan smith will get in a little bit and I, I think they'll have a lot of pressure on uh joey b and but i just don't see that mattering because i don't see the the ravens offense doing much so yeah if i had to pick a score 28 to 10 like i, I don't see this being close and i don't see it being that offense doing much I do think they're going to get the ball a lot. I just think they're going to get it right back just with not moving the ball. It's going to be a lot of three and outs. Yeah, I think this is kind of similar to what we said about the uh, the upcoming matchup between the Bills and the Dolphins, where I think the Bills are just going to dominate the time of possession against a third-string quarterback in Skylar Thompson when the Bills play against the Dolphins. And I think this is going to happen very similar to what we're going to see. 
when the uh, the Bengals go up against the Ravens, just simply because, I mean, from a quarterback perspective, you're talking about either Tyler Huntley or Anthony Brown as your starting quarterback options for the Ravens. I mean, have you guys been watching what the Ravens have been putting up offensively for like the last month and a half? They haven't been able to crack. I think, it, I think it's been under 20, 20 points over the last couple of weeks. They haven't cracked 20 points, I think, in over a month and a half. I think it's probably been, if I were, I could look at the schedule a little bit later, but I don't think they scored 20 plus points since November. So it's been a long minute since we've seen really any sort of consistent rhythm from the Ravens offense. Yeah. Obviously, I know Lamar's hurt, and that's the biggest impediment for them. But when it comes to the Bengals, I think the, the Bengals smack the Ravens. And I understand that the Ravens have a pretty competent defense. And I think that's the only thing that's actually going to keep this game somewhat competitive early. But if that Ravens offense isn't getting anything consistently going in the first half, and mind you, these teams just played each other last week. So these teams are very familiar with each other. And I think when it comes to the Bengals, the Bengals are basically just going to follow suit with what they did last week. Whatever they did last week, it worked. I think as long as they just go out there and execute the game plan and not turn the ball over against that Ravens defense, I think they'll be fine. Because, honestly, I, the Bengals could probably score 17 points in this game, and they'd probably win by about a touchdown. I just don't see the Bengals giving up 10, 15, 20 points to the Ravens here. That that quarterback issue with the Ravens is too significant of a jump for me to really believe the Ravens have any sort of shot in this game. And like you said, Kev, you got Joe Burrow and all the options that he has at his disposal, like Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd. I mean, you know the list. You just basically said it. I don't know how the Ravens are going to be able to contend with that with 60 minutes in the game. They may be able to do it at times where they slow down Joe Burrow a little bit, but there's just going to be too many opportunities for Joe Burrow and that Bengals offense to score points. And it's going to be because I don't think the Ravens offense is going to put more than 15 points on the board. So, I, to me, this game is going to be an absolute beatdown as far as I see it. I think the Bengals run away with this game. I, To me, this is probably going to be a 27-10 to 10 score. I am just I don't have faith in the Ravens to score anything above 10 to 15 points. And it's honestly that simple of an, an analysis. I'll pretty much just leave it at that. Hey, all I'm saying is if Alex Kappa's out, Lyle Collins is out, that's two backup players right there on that offensive line. We know Cincinnati started the season off really slow when it comes to protection. Now they have to basically start over in terms of signals, how they rely, how they communicate on that line. Kyle, you played the position. Not backups at this time, but backups at this time of the year, it takes one misstep. Joe Burrow gets hurt. It's a bad sack. That's all I'm saying. This is a team that the last thing you need is an offensive line issue. Now, you have depth at receiver. You have good running backs. You have good pass rushers. All I'm saying is it takes one, oh, shit. Joe gets whacked by Roquan. It's cracked up by freaking JPP. It takes one shot. You, We all know that better than anything, especially recently. So I'm just saying it's something to be mindful of because Joe Burrow took 70 combined sacks all of last season. We yeah. all know it in reality. It, it, it takes one to okay. knock you out of a game. Okay. So, Let me make my point here about Joe. I have no problem. that I've got no issue with the Bengals' offensive line issues because I look at it like this. If Joe Burrow can win a game against the Tennessee Titans where he was sacked nine times <laughs> and the Titans were the number one seed and the Bengals had to go on the road to win that game, I'm not worried. I mean – 
Ryan Tannehill, compared to what the Ravens have with their quarterbacks right now, Ryan Tannehill looks like a freaking Hall of Famer compared to these guys. Yeah, and but that was also the game that Tannehill threw terrible picks. I, oh, I understand that. I but think he had like two or three interceptions. Yeah, he, had yeah, the he game, threw that one when they were trying to drive to had, end the game. Mm-hmm. He had the game-losing interception for them. Yeah. But even with that said, when you compare what Ryan Tannehill has done in his career compared to what Tyler Huntley and Anthony Brown have done, I mean, it's it's a night and day difference. So for me, when it comes to the Bengals and their offensive line issues, it doesn't really surprise me because that's been the main point of contention with them for the last two to three years because Joe's been getting killed back there. But do I see the Ravens defense holding Joe Burrow to 14 to 17 points? No. And I think it's simply just because what is that Ravens offense going to do? Yeah. And and the Bengals have a pretty solid defense. So they're good. Yeah. If, for if, sure. if the Bengals can hold Patrick Mahomes and that Chiefs offense of 24 points, mind you, the Chiefs have one of the best offenses in the NFL. And you're going up against a second and potentially third string quarterback who they just played last week and they won pretty convincingly. I'm not really concerned with the offensive line issues. I think it's something to monitor for sure. But to the point where I'm thinking that the Ravens actually have a shot to win this game, no shot. Like, to me, like, 99 out of 100 times, the Bengals are going to win this game. And honestly, on the 100th one, I'd probably say the Bengals win that one too. I don't really see any pathway forward for the Ravens to see win this game. I just don't. Even, see, with, even with the offensive line issues. I, Kev, I fully understand it, but not this one. I don't see it as that far of like a just – like a hundred and even 99 to one. But like the only chance they have is if somehow Dobbins can get going and they just control the the pace of the game, similar to what the Titans do. It's actually a great comp of a team. Just get that running game going and just hold the ball and hold the ball and don't let the Bengals get on the field. But I just, I don't think their running game is that good to be able to do that. So it's just, yeah, just yeah. That, we'll we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Is, is dicey. That is, it's it's not it's a dicey. it's not a favorable situation for Baltimore at at all. But then again, this next quarterback situation should be a little bit more interesting, and that's going to be the Monday night game that apparently I completely forgot about, and that is going to be the Dallas Cowboys traveling to Tampa to play Tom Brady and the Bucks. So Kyle, with this being your boy. And this is his third playoff appearance in three years with Tampa. How do you think this game is going to play out? Both teams have not been playing very well. And both quarterbacks haven't played this their greatest football this season either. Yeah, I'm going with the Bucs on this one. And it's simply just because I think the Cowboys are set up for a collapse here. I think we saw it last week against the Commanders. I think we saw like the first sign of it. And now that Dallas has to go on the road to Tampa... I just don't think it's going to be in the cards for Dallas. I think Dallas is just going to find a way to do what they do best and screw things up like they always do in the playoffs. And it's going to be a first-round exit, like always. Um, and, you know, here's the thing. And when it comes to the Buccaneers, my faith in them is not that high either. Just because the Bucs finished at a sub-500 record. And somebody had to win that NFC South. And fortunately for the Bucs, it happened to be them. They've been inconsistent the entire year. And even against a team like Dallas early on in the year when 
both these teams played each other in the first game of the year. The Bucks weren't really that impressive offensively. They only scored 19 points in that game. Their biggest win as far as just a total unit perspective was that their defense held Dallas to three points in that game. And I think that there's a similar scenario where I think that Bucks defense can play pretty solid football against the Cowboys. Now, I will say that these teams are a lot different than what we saw in week one. I mean, and the Cowboys did finish with a better record, but I still believe that the Bucks defense is going to step up to limit this Cowboys offensive attack. I, I'm fully convinced of Dak Prescott probably throwing one or two interceptions in this game. There's a very good chance that Dallas could turn the ball over not twice, but potentially three times in this game to Tampa's defense, just because I think Tampa has the right players at the right times to make those types of plays. And watching the Cowboys last week against the Commanders and the way they lost that game, getting absolutely blown out in a game that somewhat had a little bit of significance for them had the Eagles lost. That is not the way that you want to go into the playoffs. And granted, I know the Bucs don't have a lot of momentum either in this game based off of how they finished the regular season. But I think just overall, with the Bucs offense showing a little bit of life in the last two weeks of the year, and the Cowboys defense not really playing up to snuff compared to what we saw in the first half of the season, I think the Buccaneers have a very good chance to win this game in a very close matchup. I don't think this is going to be a game where Brady's going to put up three, 400 yards passing and he throws four or five touchdowns. I, I just don't see that happening. I, I see this game being kind of similar to what we've seen with the Bucs all year. I think Brady will kind of be slow in the first half, pick it up in the second half, and may lead a game-winning drive at the end. Um, that's really been a lot of the wins that the Bucs have picked up this year. They've done it in that manner. Uh, I, and when it comes to the Cowboys, I, I just see mistakes. I see I see penalties potentially holding them back in this game. So overall, I think it's going to be a very close game. I think when I just look at it from just each unit of both teams, I think even though that I think the Cowboys offense has the edge, I think they're going to make mistakes and I think they're going to find they're going to fall behind the eight ball. And I think Tom and that Bucks offense are going to be able to do enough to get enough points against Dallas to get this win. And then when you combine the defensive efforts of both teams, I think the Bucks have a better defense. And I think the Bucs are going to show it by forcing multiple turnovers against Dallas. So if I had to put a score on this one, I think it's going to be relatively low scoring. I got the Bucs winning this one by the score of 23 to 20. I think it's going to be a field goal that's going to separate both of these teams. But the Bucs, in my mind, would advance to the divisional round and the Cowboys will be sitting at home once again with their fans, probably looking beside themselves. It's like, I can't believe this happened again. So Kev, I'll keep this one to you. The floor is yours. Yeah, man. I don't, I don't, I have no faith in Dallas. I just, I can't sit here and try to defend them. I mean, their performance against Washington, Kyle already alluded to was piss poor. Um, it almost looked like they gave up. It, they looked lost. Dak Prescott is tied for the league league in interceptions, and he missed five games this season. Um, you know, Ezekiel Elliott has not been able to get into a consistent rhythm. Tony Pollard has really emerged as the better back of the two, in my personal opinion. Um, and then that defense has completely dissipated. They they were one of the best defenses in the first half of the season. Micah Parsons was on a pace to what everybody said was have a Lawrence Taylor type of season. That was in like the first three games of the season. I think they needed to shut up early then, and I was proven correct now because, um, at, you know, their defense is abysmal. 
outside of Trayvon Diggs, their secondary has been pretty mediocre as well. And I think that Tom Brady and the Bucks got hot at the right time. We all know that they rested their starters at the end of the season um, for that final game. You know, Mike Evans, Godwin, Tom Brady all seem to be on the same page. The issue for me is going to be the Buccaneers need to establish the run game. They need to run the football effectively. To win NFL playoff games, you need to have a good run game, a solid defense, and obviously a quarterback. Tampa's got two of the three. If Leonard Fournette and Rashad White can get it going early, I truly and honestly believe that they can upset Dallas. And I know that a lot of people aren't supposed to say upset because Tampa's technically the home team here, but everybody says Dallas is better, their offense is better, yada, yada, yada. People are failing to realize that Dallas has not been in any meaningful postseason football since that controversial Des Bryant catch in the playoffs a few years ago. Literally. I think they got one playoff win or two playoff wins in the last 20-some-odd years. It, it, it's, it's crazy. Like, seriously, it is that bad for them. Historically, they're not good in the playoffs. And statistically, it also shows they don't play their best football in the playoffs. So, I mean, you know, when you, when you talk about reasons to pick the other team, yeah, Tampa hasn't played very well. Yeah, Tampa's under 500. Yeah, Tampa's offensive line is pretty bad. But I'm going to go with the safe pick. And if, if it comes down to it, Tom Brady, Dak Prescott, I'm taking the GOAT. Seven Super Bowl championships, almost every single quarterback record in NFL history. I mean, he might be 45, 46, but he plays like he's 28. And I'm going to lean on Tom Brady over Dak Prescott 10 out of 10 times every week. Yeah. Um, first of all, how dare you doubt playoff Lenny? Oh, God, here we oh, go. Oh, jeez. How dare you? As the best running back in playoff history. The oh my god! Two, go. three, three years that he's been in the playoffs ever. <laughs> no, I you can't I, say I, it with a straight face. <laughs> no, but I do like playoff Lenny. It just, yeah, uh, he's been in the playoffs three times with the Jags back when they went that weird late Orioles run, and then twice with the Bucks. But I, I think this game really comes down to the the Cowboys run game versus the backers of the Bucks, Devin White and um, Leonard. It really comes Levante, down. Levante David. Levante David. I, I don't know why Leonard. Um, Levante David and Devin White. It really comes down to them going against um, Pollard and uh, Elliott. If they're winning that game and they can hold that combination under like 120, I... I don't think that that passing game is going to be very good. It's just going to be Dak being scared and inconsistent, which with that being said, I actually like Dak. Dak's one of my, not my favorite quarterbacks, but I don't think he's as bad as everyone makes him out to be. But I think he gets the Cowboy over hype because it's the Cowboys. But yeah, this is going to be a running trenches battle. The, both the Bucks and the, the Cowboys are probably going to run the ball 25, 30 times. They're not really going to just have Tom Brady sit back and throw the ball 50 times like they've been doing all year. Um, but I do think it's going to be a one-possession game, probably something in the mid-20s. Like It'll be tied at 24, and Tom Brady will have the ball at the end and go down and kick a field goal. Or they'll be down by one or two, and they same thing. They need to go down and kick a field goal. And their big play receivers, Mike Evans and Godwin, will come up big at the end it's going to be the same storybook play of tom brady's whole career it's just you know what to expect which is good because 
Fuck them cowboys. Them boys ain't shit. Wow. That was good clothes out there. I like that. <laughs> Holy shit. That was, a, that was a statement right there. You said that with some conviction there. Would have swore he cheered for somebody in the NFC East that wasn't the Cowboys the way he said that. I know. Uh, oh, ooh, Eagles were my dark horse pick at the beginning of the year. That's a good dark I horse. picked Jalen Hurts in every fantasy league. And I picked, uh, what's his name, uh, Brown in every fantasy league. I AJ? AJ. Yeah. He was on my team, too. He, cook? he cooked this year, so I'm not complaining about it either. Yeah. But, um. Kev, we do have one more topic to get to, to get to before Jeez. we wrap this up. And, <laughs> and I know uh, I know you're uh, gonna be excited about this one. Um, it happened a couple days ago. The biggest beatdown that we've ever seen in a national championship game took place this past Monday with the Georgia Bulldogs. Destroyed is probably not strong enough of a word here. Just annihilated TCU. By the score of sixty-five to seven, is a fifty-eight point margin of victory for Georgia. Kev, just take the floor on this one. What are your thoughts on what Georgia did by spanking TCU? I mean, let's 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 be blunt here. This is why the SEC is the superior conference. I know that we can talk about the Big Ten, but when it comes to big performances, big schools showing up on the greatest stage, it's going to be the SEC. Georgia is one of the most dominant football teams we have seen in the, over the course of the last five years. They have lost two games in two seasons. They have legitimately two national championships in two seasons. They have the best collegiate defense in the last two seasons. Oh, and by the way, their quarterback is probably me and Charlie and Kyle's age. That man's pushing 30, and he is probably going to be the greatest State Farm salesman we've ever seen in this era. And he's got two natties to hold to it. TCU, I'm sorry, every time somebody comes out of the Big 12, it, it doesn't bode well. Oklahoma did it twice. Yeah, but what did Oklahoma do? They had good offenses. They had no defense. You can't even make the argument that TCU had a good offense. I mean... Max Duggan was 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 mediocre this game. A QBR forty nine, two interceptions. I mean, one fifty two. There was no possible way that TCU was coming out of this game with a victory. I'm sorry. It just sixty five to seven. That's almost sixty points. <laughs> that is almost sixty points. This game was an embarrassment. This is why there should be a whole different conversation for. These, these SEC schools, like Alabama, this is why I say, like, sometimes I'm like, as much as I hate Alabama, Alabama would have made this way more competitive. The ACC had its run when Clemson and Florida State were making their, 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 uh, their appearances. Obviously, the Big Ten will always have Ohio State. Michigan lost to TCU, so that, <laughs> that puts a little bit of a, a dictation on as to how good Michigan is when the team that they lost to scored seven points in the national championship. But, I mean, shout out to Stetson Bennett, man. Coming out of nowhere, you know, performing the way that he has since he's been named the starter at Georgia for the last couple seasons. I mean, that Georgia Bulldogs defense was no joke. They were swarming. They were forcing turnovers. They were just stopping everything that TCU had to offer. There was no joke. I mean, Kirby is probably going to go down as one of the most aggressive coaches in SEC history. And I mean, the, the, the Bulldogs are just, they're that team. They are the team to be in college football until somebody knocks them off. And I think that that is just a, a tribute to Kirby Smart's just incredible coaching style. 
they breed different animals at the University of Georgia. UGA doesn't play with defensive players. Offensively, they, they, they have great running backs, offensive linemen. I mean, you name it. Some of the better players in the league as of recent memory come out of the University of Georgia. And it's not a joke. So, I mean, kudos to Georgia. You know, the championship stays in the SEC. I mean, as always, it's fuck UGA because I'm a Florida Gator fan. But, I mean, th- th- there's nothing you can say to make an argument that they are not one of the best college, college football teams of the last couple seasons. Charlie, do you have any thoughts? I mean, I was so eager to watch that game, but I needed to go to the gym. So I kind of was like watching along on my phone while I was at the gym. And it, I swear the game went from 14 to 7, I think it was, or something like they both scored pretty close to each other. To the next time I looked, it was 24. And then the next time I looked, it was uh, like they just scored again before half. And then they got a <laughs> pick before half and scored again. And I, I stopped while it was just. Yeah, this is SEC. Like this is this is why Bama. I, I know nobody wants Bama in there, but like that's this is why you have two SEC schools, or you expand the playoffs so you can weed out the the mess. And hey, if TCU can beat a Michigan, if TCU can beat uh, an Alabama or an LSU on the way, or a Florida, depending on the year. And, you know, sorry, but if they can beat one of those teams that are these monster all NFL player teams, like. If they can beat them on the way to the, the final, sure, you deserve to be there. But when you beat one team in a one game, and then the next game you just get blown out, like it just, it's such a bad look. Like this, this goes back to like that, the argument of uh, UCF back when they were, oh, we're undefeated, we should be the champion. Look, look we beat Auburn, and Auburn beat uh, Alabama, transitive property, we should be the national champion. No. You beat Auburn in a game they didn't want to be in. Like, that, that's, it just doesn't. Sorry, this is my random Lumiosa prop. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, like, it just, college football is slowly getting fixed. I don't think it's going to be fully fixed in the next couple of years. Uh, UC, USC coming over to the Big Ten, like, that'll help. Because you're going to start getting just like the Big Ten and SEC kind of, well, the Big Ten will balance out the SEC a little bit, but I just, God Squad can't hang, and that's unfortunate. God Squad, I can't with you, Charlie. Can I give a funny stat before Kyle goes? Does, does anybody know the total rushing yards of that game? Of Overall from TCU or Georgia? Like, or just... uh, both, both schools. 60 all combined. That's actually a really good guess. Um, TCU had a total of 36 yards rushing as a team. Georgia had 254. (laughs) (laughs) Max Duggan had... (laughs) Max Duggan had negative 38 rushing yards. I always get confused. That doesn't count sacks, but that's like scrambles. That's popping out of the pocket that they'll count as a. I, I think I think they technically still count those like when you get sacked. I think they still count that against him. Okay. Negative thirty-eight. Yeah, I think I, I think that was. I don't think I've ever seen a number that high. Kev, how many times did he get sacked? 
It doesn't even tell me, but I'll go and look at Georgia's I, I, defense. I, mean, I don't even need to see the number. I mean, five. I, I, yeah, that makes sense, dude. Two fifty-four. So thirty-six. So 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 l- l- let me let me break it down to you guys like this. I'm only gonna make two points. They're gonna be really quick. You guys had to hear that pregame speech from Kirby Smart, right? First of all. Ain't no way that were they losing that game after that speech. I could tell you that right now. And honestly, I'll just kind of leave it at this. Obviously, everybody knows the score. 65 to 7. It's the biggest beatdown in national championship history. It's not even close. It was bowl, bowl game history, too. Even worse for TCU. <laughs> Georgia's backups scored more points than TCU. Oh. When Georgia's backups got in there, I believe they scored 14 points. Jesus. TCU, TCU scored more? 7. Like, they're deep scored more, right? Uh, no. I think they had a touchdown. I don't think Georgia's. I don't think Georgia's defense had no. a touchdown. They had an interception, but the, it wasn't a pick six. Okay. Yeah, no. Georgia's defense didn't have a touchdown. Okay. <clears throat> but uh, that's all I gotta say. They weren't losing that game based off of Kirby's pregame speech. Ain't no way. You guys. <laughs> I mean, it, you want to talk about f bombs? I mean, f bombs were getting thrown around like it was a freaking. All right, we're gonna throw a grenade here, grenade here. Literally, like it was nuts what Kirby was saying in that pregame speech. And when the backups for Georgia put up more points than freaking TCU as a whole, I, I, that's all I gotta say. Georgia was eating freaking chicken wings during the game. I saw that. That was crazy. Like they knew this shit was in the back. <laughs> like those boys. Knew like they had it in the bag. They were eating freaking boneless wings during the game. Hilarious. That's just that's too funny, bro. I, I'm surprised they weren't smoking freaking cigars on the sideline with like the fourth quarter to go because they they not like Joseph. Don't play. <clears throat> what? They're not as slick with it. They're just not a. They're not. They, a they just can't it. pull that off. Can you see? Well, Stetson Bennett had a cigar last year when they won, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that image. He didn't look as cool as Joe Burrow though. I also, I think uh, I think LSU had a better social media department when it came to like their videos that they recorded with the slow mo and, and like the fourteen videos. I, LSU knew what they were on when when Joe was there, so I'll give a little bit of credit. But Georgia, Georgia's for real. You know, to win back to back championships, I think the first That's team to hard. do it since Florida. Bama, right? No, <clears throat> I thought Bama won back to back. No, I don't think Bama. I, didn't Clemson do it since then? Because Bama did it in like 2012 or some somewhere early. No, Clem- Clemson didn't win back to back. They went to net back to back championships, but they won one and lost one. You're I mean, right. I, I could look it up real quick. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure it had to have been Bama because Florida, Florida won 2006 and 2008, not 2007. All right, I got the list here. So Alabama did it last. Uh, 2011, 2012, Florida did not do it. USC did it. Um, then Nebraska. So those are the most nobody re- cares about the Cornhuskers. Hey yo, that's my family's uh, hometown. You're from Nebraska? I'm not from. Hey, I'm a I'm a South Florida boy, born and raised. But, <laughs> yeah. They're from Nebraska. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Nothing Long but- cold winters and. Boring summer trips. Got a good place. Got nothing but corn and farms out there. I'll tell you that. 
driven through that state. It's nothing but freaking corn and just farms. No thanks. <clears throat> and it's not flat. a fan of corn. And it's flat. Yeah. Very flat. So. But, Anywho. Uh, yeah, but I think that's it. That's all we got. Yeah, that about uh that about wraps it up. Um, Charlie, we appreciate you coming on, man. We know it's a little late. Our tangents tend to uh drag on just a just a wee bit but uh super happy you were able to get on the on, on the show man i know we've been talking about this for a few years yeah i appreciate you guys having me and to let me uh rant about the the bolts so bolts baby okay. bolt up we're gonna do something for a game are you, are you gonna be saying that even if they lose i'm gonna be tears in my eyes my lt jersey just soaked i'm just gonna be saying bolts up man <laughs> it's a good thing it's a good thing you live pretty high up so no one's gonna hear you screaming and crying if you lose so my my worst nightmare is the them somehow making the super bowl and it being tom brady that they face because then they have no shot in hell <laughs> tom brady is the bane of my childhood existence i don't know how i don't hate him he's the same he just, he's the same they're best, yeah we're, we're aware their best seasons with LT and uh, Philip Rivers and Antonio Gates, uh, they they ran into Tom Brady's like 08 and 09 teams, and it's just yeah. We so I remember the Patriots beat them in the 2005 divisional round. That was the year the Chargers went like 13 and three and had I think the number one seed. And was then, that the year that Philip Rivers tore his ACL? No, that was no. 2007. That was the year that they went to the AFC Championship game with <clears> the Foxborough. I think Brady had like four picks in that game, which is yeah. crazy. And yet the Patriots still won by like nine points. It was like 21 to 12. It was like an ugly yeah. game. One of, one of those two, I think it was the first one, uh, Ed Hockley, another guy, ate him. He, uh, he had a horrible call in the end zone. I don't even remember. I think I blocked it out of my memory. Right. I just remember something with Ed Hockley ruining my childhood and making me again cry into my LT jersey at the age of like ten. I, I remember Nate Kading missing the field goal that would have. Oh, they always it. miss field goals. <laughs> the worst field history in the I, entire I, league. I think that the was Chargers the special teams was horrible back then. I, I think that was the game that we sent Marty Schottenheimer into retirement. Dude, you guys had Sean Marion. Oh, Sharon Merriman. Oh, God. That guy was electric. <laughs> Not against the Patriots. I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but uh, um, the Chargers weren't the only yeah. team we did it to, so. Yeah, whatever. It, but Us now, too. But, but now, you got one. You got one. I know. We, we choked in that one for sure because we were up like 21 points or 18 points, whatever it was. That was such a great game. I listen to that and I still get chills. Must be nice. <laughs> it's okay. You got us back in every other instance. Do you understand? That right next to the Patriots, the Chargers were like one of the most. I hated you guys so much. It was there. There was guarantees for the Chargers. We were gonna miss field goals, have injuries, and pick off Peyton Manning. That's yep. it. That's our guarantees. That's all we got. Every time. I don't know what it, I'll never forget. 2008, we were in San Diego, and Darren Sproles runs like a 20 yard touchdown in overtime to win the game. That's and you guys. I, oh. 
the other thing that we the, the fourth guarantee is that we have an all-purpose running back. That's because LT game. was always hurt in the playoffs all the time. The later later in his career, he got, and that's why he went over to uh, the Jets and finished up there. But listen, both of you guys can kiss my ass because both of you are the reason why I cried a lot in the postseason as a child. Okay, listen, 2006 was one of the greatest years of my life, but everything before that and after that, dog shit. (laughs) I I think there's a special dark place in Kevin's heart for what the Patriots did to him, though. I, I. God, if I knew Kyle back in the day, I I probably would have put holes in his tires. <laughs> would have keyed my car. I hated those. I I still hate the Patriots, but dude, I just it I couldn't have the do same. it. The, the, the vitriol is not the same. I couldn't do it, especially when we were in Foxborough. Those were the worst games because Peyton just couldn't play in the cold. Well, Tom doesn't lose in Foxborough. Yeah, the one time we beat him was in Indy. That was in uh, the RCA Dome. I think you guys beat us once on Monday night in Gillette. There was, I think it was like a Monday night. Game. Was that the Was that the toe tap Marvin Harrison catch in the corner of the end zone on Rodney Harrison? It might have been the season opener. Might have been. Might have been the season opener. You guys beat us on that one. I, I'll give you that. God, one. That was a crazy catch. That was a crazy catch. Well, I mean, he had good genes because you know who is going to be pretty. Special coming up. You already know. That's what we're going to do, okay? This is what we're going to do. This, this is my strategy, right? Okay. We draft Stroud. We draft Stroud, right? And then then, then then, Arch goes into college. He plays at Texas. He plays another year or whatever. Next year, we draft Marvin Harrison Jr. We trade Stroud for some capital, and we draft Arch Manning, and we got Manning and Harrison Jr. right back at it. It's just it, It's written in stone. It's perfection. And you know who's going to be the owner of the Colts? Me. Well, I mean, that'd be a step in the right direction. I'll tell you that. Yeah, if I own the Colts, man, we're going we gonna to have a good time. Better than what you guys are going through right now. I can tell you that. I'm all oh, Mandy's in the show. Yeah, she just got let it. You can say hi real quick. She does Mandy does her own thing, but you know, I know Charlie's probably got to take care of the pup. So Charlie, again, thank you for coming on the show, man. We really appreciate it. Um, you know, yeah. to the, to the audience, we really appreciate every, all the support, all platforms, you know, social media, YouTube, wherever it's coming from. Um, we're growing exponentially. We are less than a hundred subs on YouTube away from hitting our goal of 1000. So, I mean, we're growing in every aspect that we possibly can. But again, um, no matter where it's come from, genuinely, we, uh, we're having a lot of fun to have friends and guests on the show like this is just one of the pleasures of just being able to do what we want to do on our own show, man. So, you know, that about wraps it up for everything I got to say. Kyle, you want to close us out? Yeah, I just, um, Charlie, I just <clears throat> appreciate you coming through and, and joining the podcast. It, it's been a hot minute since we've had a guest on and uh, it really it was just a privilege to have you on. I'm, I'm glad that you were, you were able to work it out and be on the show so yeah i know, I know Kevin and i definitely appreciate that so and, yeah um, call me back i'm keeping I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed for for the chargers since i picked them this weekend so we'll see what hey, happens daddy, I'm ki- Jags, come on now yeah sorry it's that bias from the asc south i get it though no, i don't like the jags i also don't like the chargers so i mean once again i don't it, it doesn't yeah. really i was actually looking up uh how many picks cromartie has against making that one game oh, i just God. couldn't 
It was like four though, or something like that. Wow. Yeah. One of them was one handed, right? There's a one handed one in there. Yeah, one of them. Oh was yes, that was the that was the one he. Ju- yeah, that was disgusting. Mm. That was gross. I will give him that. That was filthy. Even man, but I'm pretty was... sure Reggie Wayne. I'm pretty sure Reggie Wayne cooked him on, on a fade oh. and one of an, on another was, route. Had crazy athletic picks. But Cromart, like six. But Cromart is always going to have that one. I give him that. Yeah. Always, always. But uh, no. Well, with that said, you guys that are pretty much wrapping up from here. Once again, uh, we thank Charlie for coming on the show today, and uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I got nothing more to say. So Kev, you can close us on out. Close us out here, brother. All right. Well, you know, guys, we'll see you again on Sunday, uh, Sunday night after the. Actually, I think we might have to record Monday because of the Patriots. Uh, the Patriots. Wow, the Bucks game. I wish, right? So we'll, I wish. Yeah. No. 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 We'll 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 keep you guys abreast, but we're definitely recording either Sunday night or Monday night. But we'll see you guys again soon and have a, a great holiday weekend. Is there? Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric acid. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement. Inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on ElectroCast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. ElectroCast.